Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The 156th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a quick post corner across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Well, if you're going to throw me a post corner, you're going to need some protection. And I think the, the, the man to call the protection is none other than the third amigo. In the second city, a man who never texts and drives. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Was that sarcasm? No, that's that's me being honest. You never text and drive. You're not a Michigan State assistant coach. I know. Yeah, the uh, because I was going to say, I'll admit, I'll text at stop signs and stoplights. That's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Got a no in movement rule. Yeah, definitely. That's good. Definitely. But, yeah, that Michigan State, yet yet another uh, banner day for that university. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they've had a lot of them recently. So, yeah. unfortunately. Tom Herman also entering the vortex today, well, too. Guess what, guys? None of those three schools, <laughs> Michigan State, Texas, or Ohio State, are in the rundown tonight. So Perfect. we get to steer clear of that. Thank goodness. Um, if you don't know, just – more fallout from the Zach Smith story. He had a meltdown on Twitter today. Uh, it was oh boy. It, it was something to behold, but we don't have the time to get into that, quite frankly, because, guys, we're going to keep it positive here. Um, no, so, we're not. Well, we're going to keep it as positive as we possibly can, uh, given I'm, the circumstances. I'm previewing Liberty. I, there's not going to be too much positive for that preview. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I don't know. My, my BYU preview might rival it for uh, the level of morass. But, <laughs> um, guess what, though? Football, it's finally back. It is. And we're ready for it. Um, but, guys, you know, we, we've previewed all the conferences at this point. But there are still six more teams left because there are six independent teams from this year. So it's it's week one. We want to, we're going to get to the games here in a second. But uh, for to be fair and balanced, we need to uh, do quick previews of the six teams that we haven't done yet. And so, uh, Josh, I'm going to throw it out to you to talk about that newest team in FBS. Yeah, Liberty. So uh, Turner Gill, he has kept Liberty a consistent FCS club going 41-29 and 29 overall and 22-10 and 10 in the Big South. But this team struggled in the second half of last season. They got blown out by Kennesaw State and Jacksonville State. Uh, both were FCS playoff representatives from the Big South. So they couldn't beat the cream of the crop or even keep it competitive last year in their own conference. A lot of those issues stem from a defense that was just god-awful against the run a season ago and will be again this year. And considering they now face 10 FBS opponents – and two of those are Power 5 schools. Another is triple option Nasty Army. Another is spread option oriented New Mexico. Yet another is offensive juggernaut North Texas. And finally, they also play a well-rounded Sun Belt powerhouse in Troy. 
This club is going to take a beating. And it is deserved because the whole existence of Liberty University is not really education. It's to create, quite frankly, intolerant evangelical Christians who have a college degree to get better jobs to infest our society with narrow-minded, homophobic, and usually racist people that appear to have a legitimate college diploma. So why does Liberty want to have an FBS program? Well, the more exposure they get, the more people will head into their halls and further infest society. If they were all noble, they would never have hired former Baylor athletic director Ian McCaw, who was a major figure in a university actively failing its female population by allowing systemic rape on campus. Rapes that were not exclusively committed by athletes, but had plenty of players, especially football players, acting as perpetrators in those crimes. And so this university, which was founded in 1971 by Jerry Falwell, has, uh, well, let's just look at some of Jerry Falwell's great thoughts on people. For instance, uh, people of color, he said, quote, the true Negro does not want integration. He realizes his potential is far better among his own race. On LGBT people, he commented, AIDS is just God's punishment for homosexuals. It is God's punishment for the society that tolerates homosexuals. He even insults fellow Christians, saying, quote, if you're not a born-again Christian, you are a failure as a human being. And finally, if you attend the school, just remember, this is how the founder views you. Christians, like slaves and soldiers, ask no questions. So people, liberty is a vile institution. They have no place in an equitable society. But, hey, at least they got an FBS program now. Good for them. Tell us how you really feel, Josh. You really uh, feel yeah. I think, they're, I think they are legitimately a dangerous type of program to have. Like the entire university is dangerous with their overall mission. Well, <laughs> I, there's not much of a transition from here except that we go from – uh, one religious school to another when we go to South Bend for Notre cool. Dame, Coach. Can we at least sandwich it with something noble like the good kids at Army? Like, <laughs> shouldn't we do okay, that? Okay, yeah, fine. Let, let, let's do Army. <laughs> I'll, I'll hop in on Army then. Nice. Okay. Uh, guys, Jeff Munkin, he's talk about good stuff at Army. He's the best coach they've had in decades. He's, he's awesome. Ba- yeah, he's back for his fifth season in charge I of the Black the Georgia Southern. Yeah, uh, he's back. He's in his fifth season in charge of the Black Knights, and he has turned this program around in real way. However, they have to replace Ahmad Bradshaw this year, and that could be a tall task given how productive he has been over the past couple years. Calvin Hopkins appears to be the guy in line to take the lion's share of snaps behind center in place of Bradshaw, but also don't rule out Kel Walker. He's kind of this do-it-all player for them if you haven't watched them before. He's lined up pretty much everywhere on offense except for the line for this team. Uh, you know, he can he plays mostly out of their, their wing back or slot back position, but he's also, you know, took a bunch of snaps behind center as well, played a little bit of wide out. Not that wide outs are really used uh, a whole lot, uh, in, in the system because their wide receivers last year caught a grand total of five passes. <laughs> yes. So they have, and they both graduated. So they have no uh, receivers coming back. So zero receptions returning, but they only lost five. I believe um, army had multiple wins last year with zero attempted passes. That is correct. And I believe they had a, an, an additional win where their passing line was O of one. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing, while they might not have a pass game, um, 
or a unit full of big receivers, they definitely have the deepest fullback unit anywhere in the country. Uh, the foursome of Darnell Wolfolk, Andy Davidson, Kalen Holt, and Connor Slomka are all listed as co-starters on the depth chart, which is hilarious to begin with, <laughs> um, at that all-important position in this triple option, attack, uh, triple option attack. The line, however, they have to replace four of five starters, so they're going to rely on senior center Bryce Holland to get the rest of this unit in the line. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, it really starts and ends with the linebackers. They've got three really, really good ones coming back in James no- uh, Noctigal, Cole Christensen, and Kenneth Brinson. Watch out for Brinson, especially at the outside backer position. Um, he's probably going to get a lot of more duty rushing the passer this year because the line has to replace uh, a handful of starters, most notably John Voigt, not that John Voigt. Um, who was their best pass rusher last season. Uh, Safeties Jalen McClinton and James Gibson lead the defensive backfield, but they need to break in a couple new corners. Last year, the Black Knights were pretty awful on special teams, and that's actually what held them back a little bit. Kicker Blake Wilson was a lovely three for eight on field goals, and they were 127th out of 129 teams in punting efficiency. Uh, They've got a new kicker this year, though. Landon Salyers was going to need to step it up in order to keep Army rolling along the path they have been on in recent years. I've got a solution for this. What's that? Do you see what what Hawaii did in week zero before a delay of game penalty, and then they... Got out of that formation? Uh, no, I'd not actually. They have two Aussie rules type uh, experienced punters on their roster. Uh, they put both of them back there. What? Yeah, Hawaii debuted a two punter formation. Oh, that's oh. brilliant! <laughs> I, love that. I love that. Um, well, uh, let's if if Army gets that uh, unconventional, I would I'd be all for it. But <laughs> their schedule not the easiest that they've ever had. They open the year at Duke. Um, after that, they get uh, a, a nice easy one-two reprieve in Liberty and Hawaii at home. But Hawaii was pretty darn good in Week Zero. Um, but then they uh, have to head down to Norman to take on the Sooners. They get Air Force at home, but they have to travel to Annapolis in their two legs of the Commander in Chief's Trophy. Uh, the only other tough games for them. Are that game's that game's in Annapolis? Yep. Or, not, sorry, not Annapolis. What am I saying? Um, it's a neutral site. Yeah, okay. I, I, I was very stunned. No, I'm sorry. That was that, that was my bet. I read. I just read uh, verse Navy on the schedule, and mm. my head automatically clicked. Um, but no, obviously Army Navy uh, takes place in neutral site. I don't know if it's Philadelphia yeah. or Baltimore this year, but um, they do though. Uh, Elsewhere on their schedule, they have an interesting uh, duo of MAC teams in Buffalo and Miami. Uh, they play in Buffalo, but those are probably the, the kinds of teams we previewed in a MAC that are probably right about the same talent level as Army. Um, you know, teams that all should have winning records at a uh, group of five level. I don't think nine and three is out of the question, though. I mean, that Oklahoma game. Um, is probably a definite loss. But, you know, I can see a world in which they beat Duke. I can see them winning both legs of the Commander-in-Chiefs. The rest of the schedule is pretty easy. So, um, And they also get two FCS schools, Lafayette and Colgate, both at home. And those are the last two games of the season before the Army-Navy game. The Army-Navy game is obviously three weeks after their uh, their final home game against Colgate. So, But I've got Army being, you know, uh, another having another really good year. So... Coach. Same, same. I mean, just th- their offense is so different from what most teams see week in, week out that 
they kind of have a inherent advantage built in. Their their, their top two fullbacks have a combined over have combined for over three thousand rushing yards in the last two years. Yeah, it's insane. It's it, it's unbelievable. I, I I love what they do. Um, so we're going to head from one 1940s football powerhouse to another one when we go to Notre Dame, Coach. Well, I thought Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Marcus Camby. Uh. <laughs> wait, wait, but according to the NCAA, that never actually happened. Yep, redact it, redact it. <laughs> it never happened. True. So uh, nobody. So. All right, so let's talk about Notre Dame. Well, um, they, they lost some guys in the NFL, um, so, but their quarterback, um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. Um, you know, that's uh, whoever that him is. Um, is someone well, no, they, uh, uh, didn't they announce today uh, for the game coach uh, that – Wimbush. Yeah, that Wimbush is going to be starting again? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, but based on how we played last year, I'm still with coach, but there's <laughs> still not settled. Yeah, with Brian Kelly, you never know. <laughs> the only thing you can guarantee with Brian Kelly is that he's going to get his red by doing the pullovers. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing you can count on Notre Dame. Um, so um, they have they have a lot of marquee games. So if, if they're going to make a run uh, and they make it through the gauntlet of the schedule, this could be – the, the time to do it. Um, they have nine starters returning on defense uh, while breaking in a new defensive coordinator, so that should make it pretty smooth as well. Um, Notre Dame. Yeah, had, but who'd they fire? Mike Elko left uh, on his own to go join. Where Didn't they go? fire Van Gore? He went to Texas A&M. Yeah, he went to A&M. Uh, Van Gore a long time ago, yeah, before Elko, like two years ago. Oh. Elko, was, Elko was our coordinator last year. Uh, that's just how memorably bad. And it Van was. Van wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> He's that, wasn't it Bob Diaco before that? Uh, I thought Diaco. I thought Diaco. Yeah. Yeah. And then Diaco went to uh, Nebraska. Nebraska last year. Yeah. Yep. He said, uh, absolutely no. Um, <laughs> so Notre Dame, they had the number seven rushing attack last year. Um, they, they lose uh, Josh Adams and um, fourteen hundred yards of production right there. Uh, he decided to forego his senior year uh, for greener pastures. Their two top offensive linemen, Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey, uh, both top ten picks. So, what does that mean for Brandon Wimbush? Well, um, surprisingly enough, he had a seventy six percent touchdown rate in the red zone. Um, but uh, he completed less than 50% of his passes. So, um, yeah, I'll let you do whatever you want to with that uh, stat there. Um, but you have a dual threat, highly touted freshman, Phil Jerkovic, um, if things go south for uh, for Notre Dame. Don't be surprised if, if old Phil is in there. Uh, you have Dexter Williams um, is a guy that is going to look to fill in at the running back positions. Um, but, again, Injuries, the injury bug has bit him several times, and that old playbook. Um, he can't master the playbook. I don't know how. Uh, Tony Jones Jr. is also somebody um, that could be in the backfield as well if he stays healthy. Um, again, and some more hits. Uh, Equinemia St. Brown, Kevin Steverson, Miles Boykin, um, 
they leave. Um, Chris Finke, Michael Young, uh, guys like that are going to have to step in. Alizé Mack at the tight end position and Cole Komet are going to be two guys that are going to have to uh, – you know, there's going to be a lot of mystery on the offensive side of the ball. And then the offensive line, of course, um, their veteran center, Sam Mustafer, comes back. So that's guard. That That's good. Right guard, Alex Bars comes back. That's good. Um, Tony Kramer and Robert Hainsey, they're splitting time at right ta- – they split time at right tackle last year. Um, so they're bringing back four guys with experience. Uh, two of them are starters and two of them are, are rotational guys. So uh, offensively, to say it's a mystery is an understatement. They took a huge hit with departures offensively. Uh, a lot of pressure is going to be on Brandon Wimbush. Is he going to be able to get it done? If not, they go with the young freshman. Uh, otherwise, Brian Kelly has another aneurysm. But, you know, that's just a Tuesday uh, up in South Bend. So um, offensively, you never know what you're going to – you don't really know what you're going to get, and, and that will show its – self uh, when we get to the to the preview later on of, of their week one opponent um it's not easy week one so defensively uh mike elko he uh he's gone he's accepted the the position at texas a&m i had a brain fart earlier um clark leah is his protege um he was uh he was promoted so um they're going to break him in uh they're going to try to keep things very very similar uh, he has nine starters coming back, including cornerbacks Julian Love and Sean Crawford, linebackers Tavion Coney and Drew Tranquil, and then also uh, Jerry Tillery um, on the defensive line. So, um, with all that, with all of that talent coming back, uh, there's still some question marks, mainly in the secondary. Um, they don't have any safeties. Um, that are coming back that have any experience. So they're going to be new there. They had a kid, uh, Aloy Gilman, I think I said that right, transferred in from Navy. So um, he sat out the, the 2017 season under the transfer rules. He'll step in um, to one of those safety spots. Nick Coleman um, will play a role at safety or nickel. He's an incumbent, um, but didn't really get a whole lot of time. I guess you could consider him a starter. Uh, juniors Jalen Elliott, Devin Studd, still sophomore, Dr- Jordan Denmark Heath and freshman Houston Griffin all also competing for spots in the uh, in the secondary. So uh, defensively, again, a lot of experience. So it should help uh, should help Coach Leah transition from being a linebackers coach to uh, to the coordinator seat. So um, Elko uh, took took greener pastures and, and went with uh, went with old Jimbo down to Texas A and M. So uh, what does this mean for? Notre Dame. Um, they're actually looking for back-to-back their first back-to-back double-digit win seasons since Lou Holtz in 1992 and 93, since he was slobbering all over the um, microphone and press conferences uh, back then. Um, they have won 10 games in two of the last three years, but they haven't had back-to-back. Um, they had an ugly, ugly, ugly 4-8 season in 2016. So um, What's going to happen? Um, you know, are they going to, you know, are they going to have a collapse in November at Miami and Stanford? You know, can they beat Michigan to start the season? Can they get on a roll? Can they run through their schedule? Or is it going to be Brandon with, uh, Winbush's struggle bus? That's going to be the question. Um, and will Brian Kelly's seat get hot? Uh, if they struggle, it'll get red hot. If they don't, 
if they accomplish the back-to-back double-digit winning seasons, it's going to be okay there in Notre Dame. And I think they're going to, you know, I, I think if, if they win 10, 11 games, they really have a legitimate shot at the playoffs. But, again, it's, it's a tough schedule. So um, they're going to have to figure out a lot of stuff on offense. That's going to happen, obviously. Uh, defense is going to keep them in a lot of ball games. That's how I kind of foresee this season going for for the Fighting Irish. All right. Well, then, uh, you know, our, I guess we'll get to our second uh, second run through here. These quick slants. Uh, you know, Irish have got a, a you know a, a big opening game that we will get to here in a little bit. But first, Josh, let's talk about New Mexico State. Yeah, one of my favorite teams because. They were one of the best stories last year. They ended that 57-year bowl drought. Um, so not only did they make a postseason game, but they also won it. Uh, unfortunately, they graduated their quarterback, running back, and best wide receiver. So they were entering 2018 with a bit of a quandary on offense, and it reared its head in an ugly week zero loss to Wyoming. Do you guys know how many rushing yards New Mexico had in that game? Uh, Fifteen. Not a bad guess. Coach? 23. 23. Uh, You guys both went way over. Uh, Because in that game, Juco transfer quarterback Matthew Romero, he didn't quite adjust to FCS speed and was hauled down four times. Mm -hmm. So those sacks added up to 31 lost yards, which Mm -hmm. resulted in a grand total of negative nine yards rushing for this team. So they had 22 regular rushing yards. Oh, that's not how the stat book reads it. I know, no, but, but, but huh? what, I'm saying, what I'm saying by that is that's pitiful <laughs> to begin with. Yeah. Um, still, though, I, they got a little bit of some potential, though. They have six experienced uh, offensive linemen back. I think Romero will get better as the season goes on. And former Boston College head coach Frank Spaziani worked wonders with the defense a year ago, and that unit gets seven starters back. Uh, also helping the cause of the new independent schedule, it starts with three tough games and BYU late, but everything else in between are winnable dates for this lovable hard luck program. All right. Well, uh, let's head the next up to Provo, Utah, where Kalani Sataki suffered quite the sophomore slump last year. He went 9-4 and four in his first season at the helm uh, up there for the Cougars. But last year, their record flipped to a dismal 4-9 and nine showing, including six losses by more than 16 points. Sataki parted ways with BYU legend uh, Ty Detmer, who had been their offensive coordinator, and brought in Jeff Grimes, who was... Uh, who before this was the LSU offensive line coach. Tanner Magnum is back for seemingly his 32nd year behind center, um, and he's joined by tailback Squally Canada, who is probably the team's best playmaker uh, available at any position. At wide receiver, the Cougars return four of their top six targets from last year. They also get an intriguing uh, grad transfer in Dylan Colley, who comes over from Hawaii. But I'm actually really interested in a guy named Gunnar Romney. Uh, he's coming in as a true freshman. And he's one of their most hype recruits in a long time. He's a you know borderline four-star prospect, 6'3", 185. And he should be able to uh, crack that rotation and get some balls thrown his way. The line will be good, though, uh, despite losing through their stars from last season. They get former rivals 150 recruit uh, Tristan Hogue uh, coming in as a transfer from Notre, from Notre Dame. He's slated to start at right guard. Um, so the line should be um, at least uh, adequate uh, for this team. 
Defensively, uh, you know, things should also be, well, adequate in Provo, um, especially with the turn of their two best pass rushers in Corbin Saufusi and Sione Takitaki. Uh, and while they have to replace their star outside backer in Fred Warner, the linebacking core has enough depth that it shouldn't be that big of a concern. Uh, the biggest issue on the side of the ball is that cornerback, uh, where they only have one player returning with any sort of significant experience in starter Chris Wilcox. Um, but they've got a tough, tough start to the season. After they open at Arizona, they head home to take on a frisky Cal team who you guys know that I really like. Um, Then they have to head to Madison before getting a reprieve against McNeese State at home. But that is where the easy time ends because uh, they follow that up with a trip to Washington. Second half of the schedule also holds game against Utah State, Northern Illinois, Boise State, and Utah, the latter of two which are on the road. If the Cougars can get to 6-6 – and I think that's doable. I don't think that – I think Sataki would be pretty safe. But if they miss out on a bowl game for a second consecutive year, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts next season on a very hot seat or even if they really tank if they, uh, if, if they decide to part ways with uh, an alum. So uh, finally, though, our last preview, Coach, uh, the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. All right. Uh, is this last and least or last and Mm-mm. certainly not least? Certainly not least. UMass, baby. All right. The Minutemen. Um, they are uh, – they're an interesting team, really. Um, they they kind of – they were kind of like Missouri um, last year, you know, starting 0-6, um, you know, sort of like Missouri. They, Missouri didn't quite start that bad, but UMass started 0-6. They won four of their last six games uh, to finish the year. Um, so they – We'll look to an offense next year that turns eight starters uh, and several guys that got experience as well. Um, the defense hopes to build uh, also. They're, they're, they have some momentum. Uh, obviously, if you win four of your last six, uh, you're doing something right. So uh, for the offense, quarterback Andrew Ford, uh, senior, he started at Virginia Tech. Threw two, he, uh, he threw 22 touchdowns and just four interceptions last year. Uh, for the Minutemen, um, he averaged 265 yards a game. Those are a few numbers to kind of look at your quarterback and analyze your quarterback position there. Um, an offensive line uh, that's protecting him, they return everyone, nearly everyone, on last year's too deep. So that's a recipe for some for some success for UMass. Um, they, uh, they'll miss their tight end, Adam Brenneman. Uh, he... Uh, he was an NFL prospect, and uh, he had a catastrophic knee injury. So, um, but at the wide receiver position, they uh, they hope that senior Andy Isabella can uh, can do some things. He led the he led him with over a thousand yards receiving last year. Jesse Britt and Brendan Dingle, um, they they have um, breakout potential. So they should uh, if UMass can get off to a to a faster start, they should cease uh, a lot more pr- production there. Uh, running back Marquise Young had close to a thousand yards, scored nine times. Um, he's led the Minutemen in rushing the last three seasons. Um, they have a Syracuse transfer, Jordan Fredericks, who led the Orange with 607 yards as a freshman, uh, had to sit out, uh, and now comes back. Uh, so they, uh, you know, he kind of is. You know, a lot of people like to have the thunder and lightning duo. This is, you know, uh, young, Marquise Young is the lightning. Jordan Fredericks is going to give them the thunder. So a lot of experience, a lot of breakout potential on this offense, uh, especially at the wide receiver spot. Uh, you have, a, you have a, a tandem of running backs that could do some damage. And anytime you have a senior quarterback and a completely veteran offensive line, 
things only look promising there. Um, defensively, uh, well, uh, Ed Pinkham's system uh, last year took a lot to get used to. Um, that's probably why they started slow, uh, among many other reasons. But, uh, again, uh, they, they got all that late momentum there, and, and they hope to bring that um, starting this season. Uh, I'm pretty sure they had a pretty good camp. Uh, lots, to, uh, lots to look up there as well. Um, Brenton Barr, uh, their, their Mike linebacker or middle linebacker, uh, he decided to come back. He thought about going to the uh, you know, NFL draft, or he thought about just skipping his final season, uh, but opted to return, get this, as a rare seventh-year senior. So we joke a lot of times about you know they're entering the twilight of their career, but no, he's a seventh-year senior. He was granted three additional years of eligibility after missing most of 2013 and all of 2014 and 2015 with injuries while at Towson. So, uh, you know, you just hope this kid can can succeed at some point. Um, year six, which was a year ago, uh, he had 105 tackles. Of course, he's a uh, 28-year-old senior, um, I think. I'm just guessing on that. Uh, sophomore Cole McCubrey, um, he looked promising. He had limited snaps, but he's going to start on the outside. Uh, defensive line is going to be something that they're going to have to address. They have three new starters and limited depth. Um, that's going to be a weak point there, so they're going to have to get creative and figuring out how they're going to stop the run um, and also also get the uh, get to the quarterback. So um, 23 sacks, um, 15 and a half of them came from players who graduated. So um, well over half of their sack production uh, graduated last year, so they're going to have to figure out ways to get there as well. Um, at the quarterback position, Isaiah Rogers, again, uh, he's the strength, three picks, 14 PBUs, two forced fumbles, and two recoveries. Um, so lots to uh, lots to look forward to on the defense side of the ball. They have, they have a great schedule, um, lots of explosive players and, and potential on offense. So should be a fun year for the Minutemen, um, and uh, they, they should be fairly exciting to watch. So be on the lookout for UMass. All right. Well, uh, before we get to uh, our previews of week one games, time for a little pop quiz, gentlemen. Ooh, pop quiz. I'm ready. Season's back. Quiz is back. Gentlemen. Is this one going in the grade book? It's the first week of the year, so uh, I, I, might be, I might be willing to uh, bump the grade up with a, for, with a retake. But... All right. Okay. So, uh, gentlemen, Miles Gaskin has uh, a chance this year to become only the 15th player ever with 6,000 yards from scrimmage. He needs a he needs a little over 1,500 to get there. I think he's going to do it. I think Miles Gaskin is going to have a big year for the for the Huskies. Mm-hmm. But your task is to name the 14 players who have uh, who have accru- uh, accrued more than 6,000 yards from scrimmage in their college careers. Now, yards from scrimmage, mind you, are rushing and receiving yards. These do not obviously include passing yards. So, mm-hmm. uh, Josh, I will, I, uh, Josh, I will start with you. Uh, where was the cutoff? 6,000 yards. 6,000 career yards. 6,000 career yards. Total okay. yards, yeah. Total yards. Okay, well, I know one for sure. Hit it. Because he won a Heisman at our alma mater, so Ron Dane. Ron Dane is correct. He's number two all time, 7,429 career yards. 
All right. Uh, I'm going to go with LaDainian Tomlinson. Ooh, no, LaDainian Tomlinson did not. He finished his career 5,654, <laughs> just 346 yards short. Mm. Mm. Let's see. Well, uh, probably the guy then that passed Ron Dane for all-time leading rusher feels like a pretty safe bet, which uh, was Donnell from – the Aztecs, right? Danel Pumphrey. He's correct. He's number one, 7,444 total yards. Nice. Well, I just I just kicked the door wide open for you, Josh. Um, I'm going to have to get back in it. I'm going to go with an oddball request so I can get back in the game here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy won the Heisman um, with the Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, could John Carter? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no? He's, he does, he's not in the top 250 players. <laughs> This is going about as well as Kajana Carter's NFL career for a coach. That's about right. Yeah, Kajana Carter, nope, nowhere, nowhere to be found. All right. Well, then. Josh? So now it's back to me. Let's see. Let's see. Google. Um, I'm going to need an answer. I am going to go with someone who I think was a four-year starter, so they racked up a lot of awards or a lot of yards, but then they also racked up two Heismans. I'm going to say Archie Griffin. That would be a very good guess, but he fell 61 yards short, 5,939 career yards. Oh, come on. Okay. Coach, you you need a right answer to stay in it. I know, right? Uh, Let's see. I failed so miserably with uh, Johnny Carter. I thought I had that one. I guess I didn't. Um, I'm going to go with a better guess. Um, <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> uh, Todd Blackledge. <laughs> uh, Sean Salisbury. Uh, <laughs> Coach, the question was not mid-80s Penn State players. It wasn't? <laughs> um. I was going to guess uh, – I don't even know any other mid-80s Penn State players, so I would have tapped out there too. Um, okay, here we go. For the for the strikeout, Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson, not a bad choice. Um, but he only played three years, so he did not have as much time to rack it up. 4,239 career yards for him. He finishes 229th all-time. What about the other Adrian Peterson of Georgia Southern? Or yeah, is no. Just FCS? <laughs> this is just FBS. just FBS. Okay. So, uh, Josh, do you have any other any other guesses off the top of your head? You've already won. Well, one of my one of the names that popped into my head was Husho Walker, but I feel like he Coach would have said that he only stayed three years. He only had like five okay. so. five thousand five hundred and two okay. yards for for Husho. Um, I've noticed a common thread, Matt. Whenever you do these questions, uh, I swear to God, Tony Dorsett's name always pops up. Torrent set number four all time, 6,941 yards. Okay. What about the juice? Ooh, I like that. Nope, sorry. not top, yeah. He's not in the top 250. Marcus and Allen? Marcus Allen, number 26 all time, 5,611. Doesn't quite make it. Um, there was, the, 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 other, the other name that I swear to God, Matt, whenever you ask these offensive questions. Tim Tebow. No, I was going to say Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams, number three. Yeah, Williams, 206 yards. I've noticed a thread, Coach. Williams and Dorsett always pop up. So just from now on, we'll always mention their names. 
Gotcha. Uh, whether it's yards gained, uh, joints smoked, it doesn't matter. Uh, they pop up. Um, so a couple guys, uh, a couple notable guys you missed. So uh, I had a few other guesses. I okay, hit it, hit it. Um, where is that other amazing SDSU back, Marshall Falk? Uh, Marshall Falk, 31st all time, 5,562 okay. yards. Where is that other amazing Wisconsin running back, Monte Ball? Moneyball, 21st all time, 5,730. Okay. Where's Melvin? Uh, Melvin Gordon only played like basically two years, but he still had 5,143 nice. yards. Um, there's one other guy that, let's see, he had over 1,100 yards rushing all four of his seasons. I think I know where you're going with this. That was 4,400. That means he would have just needed a little bit more passing yards. Um, But he actually – no, last year he ran for 1,300. Uh, Is it – You're on the right track. Is it Justin Jackson? It is Justin Jackson. Nice. Number 10 Uh, all time, 6,298. And that taps out – they're the only other people that are either like super old timers or people that I'm just forgetting about. Um, well, uh, there was one other guy who was a senior last year. Uh, you guys forgot about Royce Freeman, number seven all time, six thousand four hundred thirty-five yards. You guys also missed uh, you. You guys guessed a couple of USC tailbacks, but not the right one. Charles White was fifth all time. Uh, other names: D'Angelo Williams, Moel D. Moore, Darren Nelson. Uh, Damian Fletcher, Cedric Benson, Travis Prentice, and Anthony Thompson. I've got a question, teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, no disrespect to wherever he played, but who the hell is Travis Prentice? Uh, he played at Miami of Ohio in the late 90s. He uh, had 6,118 yards in his career. So he was there even before Big Ben. Uh, he would have been a senior when Big Ben was a freshman, I think. Okay. I've, I've honestly never heard of him. Yeah, no, he had uh, three straight years uh, with over 1,500 yards. Good for him. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, career, a un- career, unheralded collegiate superstar. 5,596 rushing yards and 73 touchdowns, uh, 522 receiving yards and five touchdowns in his career. And nice. this was in 11-game seasons, too. Uh, where's the highest Iowa player? Uh, the highest Iowa player is uh, Liddell Betts. Ooh, some of the great uh, mid '90s like Sun Bowls, yes. '98 to 2001. Yeah, uh, who's 4, the highest dog not named Herschel? <laughs> Chub. Yep. Chub. It's yeah. Chub. Coach, I think you mispronounced that. I believe it's Hushawaka. Hushawaka. So, uh, yeah. Oh, well, no, yeah. Thanks Hushawaka. for playing. Now we got to get into some deep roots. Uh, to, to tie in with our previous segment, who is the highest Massachusetts Minutemen? I don't think they have anyone in the top 250. Marcus Camby. <laughs> I, was yeah. waiting, I was waiting for you to say it, Matt, and Coach got there. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the highest Longhorn? Oh, yeah, that's right. Ricky, Ricky Williams in a number of categories. <laughs> I don't know, man. Seth Benson could challenge him in a couple of those. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Touche. Well, um, uh, speaking of uh, legal marijuana, Washington, they're playing <laughs> Auburn in the first week. Um, so, I think that's the best transition we've ever had on our show. Well, I mean, we got to start somewhere. So uh, we're off to uh, – we are off here, gentlemen, on uh, – this is our fourth season together. Off where? Off the rails? <laughs> 
like I said, it's our fourth season together, so we are clearly off the rails. Um, but let's start it. Let's let's get it started in Hotlanta, your hometown, Coach. Oh, yeah. Washington and Auburn are going to face off in the Chick-fil-A kick- kickoff game in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. This is the only matchup of top 10 teams this week, uh, but it's a doozy. Coach, I'm re- the thing I'm most excited about in this matchup is the – uh, is directly the matchup between Auburn's defensive line and Washington's offensive line. Uh, both Auburn's D-line is one of the best in the country. I think Washington has a fantastic O-line led by their superior left tackle and Trey Adams. Uh, two of the best units in the country. Who's going to have the upper hand? You know what? I, I think, uh, you know, just the overall speed of those guys up front, um, I think Auburn's going to have the upper hand because, you know, I, I think, just those guys, they're the best defensive line not named Clemson. I mean, those guys flat get after you, and they have four, five, six guys that can come in and just speed rush, bull rush, uh, whatever you want to do. I, I think Washington has not and probably will not ever see an offensive line or offensive line, a defensive line that that good. So um, that's not saying Washington's offensive line is terrible, but I mean, you just look at what Auburn did to just about everybody they faced. I mean, they just broke everyone down. Uh, they, they, they would grind the game to a halt. Um, they would stop just about everything because really can't do anything against their front. I mean, you watched, you watched them against Clemson to start the year. Clemson comes in with this high powered offense and it's the same guys. Um, and they shut them down. They shut Georgia down when Georgia was number one in the country, they shut Alabama down. I mean, they just, they just keep, rolling, keep rolling, keep rolling, keep rolling. And, and I, I think it's going to continue with uh, when, you know, at least uh, the, the matchups up, up front. So what Washington is going to have to do in this game is they're going to have to, uh, which is something they may be used to, may not be used to um, with this particular uh, lineup, you know, they're going to have to pass to set up the run. Uh, that's what teams do against Auburn that have success. They pass to set up the run. That's what Georgia did in the rematch in the SEC championship. They pass to set up the run. Um, they throw quick screens. They throw uh, things short underneath, uh, slow screens even, to take advantage of the speed of, of Auburn's defense. So as far as lining down and just blowing off the ball, that's not going to happen. That's a pipe dream. Uh, but it, if they want to get creative, uh, they're going to have to, again, play action, pass to set up the run, things that are fast, faster developing, um, so that they can have a little bit of success, get Auburn on their heels, and then maybe they can start striking with some of the running games. So um, it's going to be a great matchup. Though. It's going to be so much fun to watch uh, just these two juggernauts go at it. Um, I'm interested to see if Washington can handle the speed of that defensive front, and uh, we'll see. Um, but I, I think uh, I think that's, you know, Miles Gaskin is going to have tough sledding, at least for the first half. But if Washington can have some success in the throwing game, Maybe Miles Gaskin gets involved later. Well, Josh, then I guess that begs the question, how is Washington going to stop Jared Stidham and the rest of the Auburn offense? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, we talked about Washington's uh, amazing offense, their upside that they have with Browning back, Miles Gaskin stuff, but this is a really good past defense a year ago um as good as auburn was washington actually finished better in total pass defense at 19th a season ago they also finished with more sacks washington was really good at getting after the quarterback themselves with 37 i think you saw 
when Auburn struggled and Stidham struggled, it was because of a pass rush. So just like Auburn wants to uh, push back the Washington O-line, that's going to be Washington's primary attack is let's get our pass rush after Stidham. Let's Let's rattle him a little bit and take it from there. So I actually see both teams having very similar game plan on what Coach said, using the rush to set up the pass. But here, here's the kicker uh, in this game. Uh, Auburn doesn't have on Johnson to bail him out of a lot of exactly. situations. Yep. So that's where Washington has the upper hand if you're matching offense versus offense. So yep. mm-hmm. um, Malzahn's going to have to get even more creative and might have to use tempo, um, mm-hmm. which, which he does very, very well. Um, to to kind of tire out the defense there, but I, I think it's you know for for anybody that think think this game is going to be high scoring at least when the first three quarters are completely off on this one because yeah. I think it's just going to be uh, defense defensive yeah, front this, ruling the ruling this, the game. This feels like a seventeen thirteen game to me. Yeah, it's going to be a slugfest. But you know, this is almost a home game for Auburn. I mean, how long does it take to get from Auburn to to Atlanta to to the stadium coach? What, like an hour and a half? maybe not even that probably yeah. uh it, it takes it takes about a little, just a touch over an hour do you think that's gonna, do you think the crowd's gonna be a factor do you think it's just gonna be overwhelmingly auburn fans there or do you think there'll be enough of a washington contingent that it's not as big of a factor no it, it'll be a factor auburn travels well um they will and, and they're loud uh they their fans do a tremendous job um all of that and it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be overwhelming so so Washington is going to have to fight the crowd noise. Yeah. Another factor is um, Big Ten teams do horribly on the road at Pac-12 teams. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, Pac-12 teams do horribly on the road at Big Ten teams. Time zones, uh, e- even with a night game, even with it being the first game, having all the time in the world to prepare and shift it's your – It's a mid-afternoon game. Yeah, sh- yeah, even with that, you know, shifting your practice schedule – Stuff like that. It's it's just difficult. There's a reason course, why you don't. Yeah. Of course, if you rewind yeah. to 2011, Chris Peterson in the same exact situation with an inferior team came and demolished my Georgia Bulldogs. So um, this is not foreign to him. So he's used to this. So he knows how to prepare the Huskies for for this type of environment. So um, if there's anyone in, in in the Pac-12 that can do something like this, it's Chris Peterson. So um, I think it's going to be very, very intriguing. I think whoever has the most sacks um, and whoever can win the field position battle is going to take this one. Um, and well, I do know one thing: Chris Peterson's not going to attempt a that? 63-yard field goal. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to see the Statue of Liberty play. I was like, no, he should. He he, he should do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, um, let's go from one half of the Iron Bowl to the other half. Uh, and to do that, we have to head to Orlando. We're reigning national champion, quote-unquote national champion. We all know UCF is the real champ. Um, UCF is the people's champ. Yeah, UCF, uh, UCF Alabama begins their title defense against Louisville, who just lost their best player in program history, Lamar Jackson. Josh, what does Louisville mm-hmm. do you need to do in order to keep this one from just becoming a laugher? Uh, find a magical extra year of eligibility for Lamar Jackson. You don't believe in uh, Jalen Puma Pass? Mm, no. Okay. Uh, look, Louisville's a rebuilding team. Their best hope is they've got a coach who knows motorcycles and offense. 
And you know, maybe maybe Petrino and neck braces. Yeah, maybe Petrino throws a few wrinkles. Um, kind of does, you know, knows that they can't hold up against you know a pass rush, so they don't really go with having a traditional pocket. Get the quarterback on the run. We saw Ole Miss do that with some success against Alabama. We saw Texas A&M do that with a lot of success a few years ago with Johnny Manziel. That seems to be about the only real wrinkle that I could see Louisville throwing at Alabama. And even then, I give Alabama about three series to figure it out and adjust, and it's it's just going to be a blowout. Yeah, Coach, we're going to see a lot of new faces on Alabama this year, obviously, as we seem to every year. Is there one player in particular you are excited to see who's a new starter? Uh, I mean – I don't want to consider him a starter, but he's, he's going to be a heavy rotational guy. I'm excited to see Najee Harris. Um, I'm excited to see Jerry Judy, who started parts of last year. I'm excited to see what quarterback um, jumps into the game. I think it's going to be Tua uh, Tonga-Vailoa. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to kind of see how he progresses through a full the full course of a game. Um, so uh, I really – I love this running back group. Uh, this is probably – I'm not an Alabama fan, but I am. Outside of Georgia, I am a fan of, like, just good football. And Damian Harris and Najee Harris might be – they're unrelated, by the way um, – might be one of my favorite running back tandems outside of Athens um, in the entire country to watch. I mean, this is – this is you know, this tandem has everything you want. You have the speed, pass catching, uh, can run with enough power guy, Damian Harris, and then you have Najee, who's 6'2", 230-pound battering ram that can run – like a deer. So um, it'd be exciting to watch them. And if you want to see some talent, if you want to see a blowout, really, just watch this game. This game will be a snooze fest after halftime. So um, if you want to watch this one, watch it before halftime. Um, and uh, I just, t- to be honest, I think I think Alabama is just head and shoulders talent-wise above Louisville. And Louisville lost 90% of their talent when Lamar Jackson got drafted by the Ravens. All right. Well, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be tough. I, I am excited to see Jalen pass though. I think he's going to, obviously he's not going to be Lamar Jackson. No one else, no one ever could be Lamar Jackson. He's a completely different quarterback, completely different kind of athlete. Uh, he's a, you know, but he, I think he will remind some people of like a baby Cam Newton out there. Uh, you know, he, he, he's a big kid um, and he's got a cannon. So I, I need to see how he adapts, but I don't think that, uh, he's going to have enough time because I think that the uh, I think that the Alabama pass rush is going to get to him way too often. But now let's head to our next game, uh, which is between the schools with the most and third most victories in college football history. They were Iowa in- and Northern Illinois. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, they're renewing their rivalry this weekend when Michigan heads to South Bend to take on the Irish. Both teams are ranked in the top 25 coming into the game, uh, but they both have some major question marks to deal with. So, Josh, how did you expect new starter Shea Patterson to look for the Wolverines against uh, a Notre Dame defense that has been, you know, frequently tenacious uh, over the past couple of years? Well, in seven games last year, he had more passing yards, a better completion percentage, more touchdowns and fewer interceptions than Michigan's three quarterbacks combined for. So that's a good place to start. Uh, Coach, you previewed Notre Dame. I have one quick question for you. In a sentence, how would you describe Notre Dame's defensive line? Uh, A lot less experienced, um, but pretty good. 
And I'll tell you why that matters, the lot less experience part. That was the answer I was hoping to your coach because by far Michigan's biggest weakness is their offensive line. So all the pieces are there defensively. they got a championship-level defense. They've got a very talented, albeit thin, running back group, and they have a lot of targets to pass to some really, really special tight ends. So the only thing that can trip Michigan up this year is that offensive line. When they are playing a team like Coach said that's a little little weak on experience, talented but not, you know, a juggernaut, Michigan stands a great chance, and I actually have the Wolverines pulling this one out as a result. Coach, how do you feel about this one? I, I like Michigan a lot in this one. Uh, Shea Patterson just gives them a whole new dimension that they've never had at quarterback. Um, he's going to be – Probably, I would venture to guess that he might be the best quarterback Jim Harbaugh will ever get at Michigan. Um, just the talent that he had coming into to Ole Miss and just watching him play. Uh, he was an IMG kid coming out of high school. He was he, he's extremely talented. Can make every throw. Can run. Can escape pressure. He's not a run first quarterback, but. He is very dangerous with his legs. So uh, at the quarterback position, I think Michigan is far superior. Uh, defense, you have Rashawn Gary uh, for Michigan. Uh, you have, you know, just a ton and ton and ton of talent uh, over there to, to join them. So I, I think they're going to get after Wimbish. Wimbish is highly inaccurate, especially when you have guys in his face. Um, and just so many question marks offensively that, if this game were played in late October, November, okay, I, I would give Notre Dame more of a shot at it, but I think, I think I'm think i taking Michigan easily here. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout, but I think Michigan's going to win comfortably um, just due to so much lack of experience for Notre Dame on the offensive side of the ball and Wimbush just being kind of an enigma with accuracy. I just want to push back on Coach's comment that Shea Patterson's going to be the best quarterback he's ever had at Michigan. He will ever have. Uh, never had, but he will uh, ever moving forward. I think. Uh, Tom Brady's son is nine years old. Give it some time. Nine more years for him to drink whatever Kool-Aid Tom Brady drinks and take the steroids. Somehow, somehow I, don't feel like, I don't feel like Harvard's <laughs> going to – I don't feel like Harvard's going to be there in nine years. Oh, just saying. Man. But, oh, yeah, he's, where is he going? The Colts? <laughs> uh, no, he's going to the Dolphins, and you hear it here first. Um, you heard it here first. <laughs> um, uh, well, let's head uh, from Catholics to convicts, uh, when my, where Miami <laughs> takes on LSU. Uh, Miami? On, let's see, me scratching my head in Miami. Uh, Sunday night in Jerry World, the U is coming off one of their best seasons in a decade, and they're set to take on Kojo in the Bayou Bengals. Uh, Coach, what do you think Malik Rozier and the rest of Hurricanes offense needs to do in order to move the ball against an LSU defense that has some of the top talent in the country? Well, um, they just, you know, they just need to just do their thing. Uh, I mean, it's just honestly, uh, you know, if they just finish their, you know, if they just execute their game plan, just be balanced um, and just kind of get creative and and just kind of do what they do. I know that's kind of a very odd answer, but uh, you know they're 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 at their best when they're balanced. And any Mark Rick team you see is best when 
they have somewhat of a balance of, of run and, and pass. And if they get to one lopsided, I think LSU's, especially on the passing side of it, if, if they have to rely on Malik Rozier to carry them, that's not going to be good for Miami uh, because LSU will feast um, in the pass rush. But uh, if they can stay balanced and keep, keep LSU on their heels, you're going to see Miami have a lot of success. And then for LSU, um, on the flip side, offensively, um, Joe Burrow is, is going to have to uh, – he's going to have to prove his mettle. He's going to have to, you know, deliver the ball and spread the ball around, uh, and they're going to have to get their run game going. Can they replace Darius Geis? I mean, that's that's going to be remain to be seen. Can they get their new tailback into – the game plan, and, and that's going to be offensively what both teams need to do. Now, defensively, Miami, um, you know, they've got a pretty damn good pass rush too. So they've got to get after the quarterback as well. They had 44 sacks a, a year ago. So, I mean, um, Coach, you mentioned Auburn's defensive line being the best outside of Clemson. I think Miami could give them a run for their money. Yeah, my, Miami's extremely talented as well. Um, I don't think they're quite as talented as Auburn, but uh, they're, they're up there. They're in the conversation. For sure. Um, they're definitely somebody you can say, oh, yeah, Miami, they can play some defense too. So um, let's, let's not leave that little factoid out there. So, uh, you know, it's going to be – this is this is probably going to be one of the best games of the weekend, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, Miami, uh, LSU, and then also Auburn-Washington are probably going to be the two best games of the weekend, understandably so. Um, but I think this one will probably be the most competitive uh, just because these two teams are very similar uh, in, in, in what they can do. Uh, yeah, Josh, is there anything you're looking out for in particular in this one? Well, I just, you know, when we were previewing the SEC, I talked about how I was really down on LSU's offense and, you know, didn't think they found a great replacement for, you know, their offensive situation, their their new coordinator, things like that. And they, they finished 48th in offense a year ago, which I know that's, it was that high. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, that was upper half, but I was looking at their schedule, and, you know, they put up quite a few points and yards against Chattanooga. Uh, you know, they had some games where they compiled stuff. We know that they bottomed out with against Mississippi State, Alabama, uh, things like that. So I really like an opportunistic defense in Miami stacking up against a LSU team that I have a million questions for their offense because I just I don't see it coming together yeah i i expect it's in dallas you know or i i should say arlington i guess um so i do expect there to be more lsu fans there but it it really is uh, as close as you're going to get to a true neutral site game i think uh out of the games this weekend so you know i i, I would ex- I, I don't expect the crowd to be a huge factor here i i like miami here i don't think that they are going to cause as many turnovers this year as last year because i just don't think that that the level um or i should say the rate at which they were producing turnovers last year is something that is sustainable from a year-to-year basis um except i, I for- would say you know in regards to who you think the crowd's going to favor it's definitely going to favor lsu lsu in the yeah. sec probably one of the best traveling yeah uh, fan bases and it's just in dallas so it's like it's not that far away yeah and, 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 and they are and I, loud yeah i was gonna say miami is i mean matt we've seen them in bowl games where like the wisconsin miami bowl game and wisconsin's stand is packed in miami's side of the stadium they are they don't even come to their home games since leaving the ob i mean they're uh kind of a 
you know, I hate to say it, but they're a fair weather fan base. And I just don't see many Miami fans making the trip. And even though Miami's a national brand, I'm not sure there's too many like diehard Michael Irvin Cowboy fans in Dallas going to go, Oh, Hey, let's go see, let's go see his alma mater. I mean, it's, it is a six and a half hour drive from Baton Rouge to, to Dallas. So, you know, I, I don't know. That is nothing for those people. <laughs> that is nothing for I them. Will, I, I, they will I, be there on Tuesday. You know what uh, You know what a Louisianan calls a six-and-a-half-hour drive, Matt? Daily commute? No, it was a 13-daiquiri drive. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we, 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 we were thinking about, about 13 hurricanes, and, uh, and it's, it's going to be a good drive there up, up to Dallas now. It's going to be good. You know, Coach over here, we're one of us, and we're going to get them Tigers to do it right there, but the Bible Bengals right there. Here we go. G-E-A-U-X. Go Tigers. All right. Well, uh, our last final our final. I picked pre- Miami. I don't know why I did that. I just- <laughs> so um, our, our final that. preview is going to take us to the final game. Coach, of- is that the worst chant in the SEC? Uh, it's got to be. Um, <laughs> maybe the uh, – Maybe the, the anything that Florida does might supersede that. But uh, my my last thought about the Miami game is going to come down to, to honestly, it's going to come down to coaching. And uh, Miami has the superior coaching staff, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be the edge. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, uh, our final preview uh, takes us to the final game of this amazing. Uh, it's actually a five day football weekend. Game start on Thursday. <laughs> Uh, go all the way through uh, Sunday, uh, all the way through Monday. Uh, so we're going to head to the Doke, where Willie Taggart is making his first appearance on the sidelines as Chief Seminole against the Virginia Tech squad that showed last year it could hang with anyone. These two teams are ranked 19th and 20th in the polls coming in. So uh, the, you know, a lot of people think that this could be a, a, a toss-up, at least on a neutral field. Um, between these ACC foes. Josh, can Justin Fuente steal a game in what is one of the tougher environments in the conference to spoil Taggart's debut? I think he can, and a lot of it's going to rely on Josh Jackson, that outstanding quarterback the Hokies had. Um, we, we talk about this freshman wall, and you know what in the world does that mean? So just to highlight it, because Jack, Josh Jackson hit the freshman wall a year ago. Uh, so in his... First, let's count them, six games, so the first half of the season. His uh, lowest passing total was 222 yards. In the final six, he had one, two, three, four games under 200. And one of those games against Duke, he was at 200 on the dot. So when the... ACC play ratcheted up when injuries started to happen around him, when the grind of the season and class is all catching up to Josh Jackson, he struggled. So I expect him to return to form now in a fresh season. I think he's a dynamic quarterback. I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. So riding Josh Jackson, I think Fuente has a great chance to, uh, to pull off an early stunner against Florida State. Before you before you ask the question, man, I'm I'm gonna I might even answer it for you, but you know this Seminole D, you know they're they're not they're not one that if you're trying to figure out um, your rushing game, they're not, they're not one that you want to do that against. Marcus, Merry Christmas, and Brian Burns um, are going to help bolster defense that allowed few that allowed 136 yards rushing per game 
um, last year. Uh, they also have you know a bunch of prospects in the uh, secondary as well. So if FSU can can force Virginia Tech to be one dimensional and force Josh Jackson into a little box, then I think it's going to be a lot of war chant going on um, down in uh, wherever they're playing. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, down in the Doak, you're going to hear a lot of uh, war chant. So, um, so that that's that's the positive thing for Willie Taggart's bunch uh, is is the defense that they have coming in there that that's going to help kind of slow things up for for Josh Jackson. Um, also, Cam Akers doesn't hurt to have a, a tailback of his caliber. But um, you know, for Virginia Tech, I do love Josh Jackson. I think he's a tremendous quarterback. Um, I, I'm not saying that all that about the Seminoles defense to to say that Josh Jackson is terrible. Um, he will have his fair share of, of struggle, but again, he's just going to have to find a way to get comfortable. They're going to have to they're going to have to find a way again to achieve some sort of running attack. They're going to have to find some sort of way to to not allow Florida State to pin their ears back and come and get them. Um, because when they do that. They're a team that's going to force a lot of turnovers. And then when Florida State forces a lot of turnovers in a place like Doak Campbell Stadium, the game can get out of hand. The game can can get away from you in a hurry. That's kind of how Florida State is. That's kind of how they've always been. You know, once they kind of get that ball rolling, it rolls pretty fast downhill. So um, for, for Virginia Tech, defensively, they're going to have to try to get some turnovers themselves. They're going to have to force good field position. They're going to have to win some things in in, in that that wonderful third phase that we uh, only mention every so often. That's going to be a huge factor uh, for for the Hokies. Um, anything to try to help put pressure on that Florida State defense. Short fields typically do the trick there. Um, big special teams plays that that can flip uh, bad field position to good field position for you. Things like that will put a lot of pressure, tremendous pressure on a defense that, you know, is extremely talented. But, again, there's going to be some growing pains over there as well because they're working with a new staff. So, again, um, if he's going to strike, he's got to strike early. Um, but if they get any sort of momentum, FSU is going to be, you don't know. Um, but th- this game is – I truly don't know who to pick in this one. Uh, I-, I could pick Florida State right now. Tomorrow I'm going to pick Virginia Tech, and then by game time I'm going to have Florida State again. I'm going to watch the first series and say, oh, well, Virginia Tech's going to win this one, and you know, so on and so forth. That's what kind of game it's going to be. Yeah, it, I think it's going to be it's going to be a fun one. I'm excited to see how uh, DeAndre Francois looks after you know missing pretty much all of last season with the injury in the first game against Alabama last year. And, you know, what Willie Taggart changes offensively for this team going in, because obviously it's a new system under him. Uh, I think it'll be a little bit more spread out than they were under Jimbo Fisher. Uh, You know, we've seen what Willie Taggart likes to do at his previous stops. And he's obviously, you know, a a hot name in the coaching ranks. And this is going to, this is a, uh, you know, a a big stage to make your debut. It's not like, you know, you're going to get a cupcake in your first week and be able to run up the score. Virginia Tech is uh, you know, always the real deal, especially on defense. Bud Foster always has a defense, and, and we know defense travels. So this is going to be a good one. I actually I, – I would consider taking Virginia Tech in this spot. I don't know about you, Josh. I'm taking the, I'm taking the criminals at home. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, it's funny. You, Coach, when we were talking about the Notre Dame game, said that if that game was later in the season, he thought Notre Dame had a better chance. 
kind of get the same feeling with Florida State. That yeah, that, that, that's that's kind of how I feel as well. When, when you have that coaching change, you're going to have a couple of games adjustment. And just Virginia Tech's a nasty team to debut with. So um, when it's all said and done, Florida State will probably prevail by like, you know, three to ten points. But Hokies are going to give them one hell of a game. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one, and it's a good way to end the weekend. Yeah. Uh, well, we can't end our podcast, though, without hitting some spread formations. Uh, so those, for those of you new to the show, uh, every week we pick five games against the spread, keep a running tab. So uh, let's get started with week four, uh, with our fourth year of spread formations. We're starting out uh, in Norman, Oklahoma, where uh, Lane Kiffin, the Fighting Kiffs, uh, and his and the FAU Owls are are have to take on the Boomer Sooners. Sooners twenty one point favorites at home. Josh, who do you like in this one against the spread? Well, the Owls returned Devin Singletary, who had 1,920 yards and 32 touchdowns a year ago. Oklahoma's rush defense last season, 53rd in the country, and their overall defense just 81st. So offensive-minded Lane Kiffin, he'll be able to draw a few things up. Having such a run game, I think, will shorten the game. The Owls will eat up a lot of time of possession. No Baker Mayfield, a lot of new faces for Oklahoma. I would like to say it's going to be a push, but that is really not exciting podcasting. No, so really I will say that FAU loses by just 20 points. All right. Numbers. Coach. I, I'm going to agree with uh, Josh to a certain degree. I'm not going to give you an exact number. I think FAU is going to cover just because – I'm gonna go ahead and say it. They're the, I think they're the best group of five team. Um, Ooh, in all of I like that proclamation early in the uh, year. I, I think they're the best. They're the most talented. They have the best run game. I think um, Lane Kiffin has kind of found his groove uh, coaching wise. I think he should have been coaching at the beach in South Florida a long time ago because there's no pressure at FAU. So um, he's just doing his thing and he's pushing all the right buttons. And I, I think. Um, I think FAU is the best team in Group of Five, followed by Boise State. Those are the be- those are two teams that I feel have the best chance um, at a playoff spot if there's one uh, for the taking for a Group of Five school. So, I think with Oklahoma breaking in a new quarterback, Kyler Murray, um, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna put up a lot of points, but so is Florida Atlantic, and I think they're gonna stay <clears throat> pace for pace with with the Sooners for a little while, and I think Oklahoma is gonna pull away to a comfortable win, but I don't, I don't think Oklahoma is going to cover this. I think FAU is going to. See, the thing I worry about in this game, I really want to take FAU, and I'm going to end up taking FAU, but I'm worried that it comes into the fourth quarter, a seven-point game, and Oklahoma ends up winning by 24. Um, you know, <laughs> because, you know, it just uh, at the end of the game, FAU's defense is just gassed against uh, Lincoln Riley's up-tempo offense, and I, I think Kyler Murray is special. He's a special athlete. He's been that way since high school. And, you know, this is his, his, his time to shine. So, you know, my heart says FAU, my head says Oklahoma, uh, but I've always been a guy who's followed my heart. So I'm going with FAU as well. Uh, Coach, you just mentioned this team, though. Uh, our second game, 
Boise State, 10.5-point favorites on, on the road in Troy, Alabama. Josh, uh, if you're anything like me, uh, you think uh, the Troy Trojans are a pretty frisky team. Yeah, they are a very frisky team. My worry for them is it's going to take them a couple weeks to really break in a new quarterback because they graduated one of the all-time best careers. Uh, Brandon Silvers, how about this for some numbers to replace for his career? 10,684 passing yards, 71 touchdowns, 29 interceptions. Uh, just, you know, this guy did it all. His his quarterback rating was well over 130 all four years. This kid could do it all. And even with him on the roster last year, this team lost by 11 out at the Smurf turf. I think him being gone, Boise, like we talked about in our last show, having a whole bunch of players back, a very good-looking defense. I think it's just a tall order for Troy. If this game was the last game of the year, maybe I'd take a fly on the Trojans, but I think Boise covers. Coach? There's there's got to be a reason why they are 10.5-point favorites. Um, and I think a lot of that's Brett Rippon. Yeah. Um, I, I said it uh, moments ago. Uh, Boise State um, is the second best by not that huge of a gap, second best team in group of five. Uh, so um, they're going to show it. They're going to put it on display. I don't love that they're traveling across the country to come to Troy, um, but I do think they cover. I think they win by two touchdowns. All right. Uh, let's head then to the Big Ten. Where... What was your pick, Matt? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm also taking <laughs> Boise State for the exact same reasons that you mentioned, Josh. Uh, I Just Troy bringing in a new quarterback. It's going to be a, a little too, bit too much to ask against this Boise State squad. That is uh, poised to be one of the best in Group 5. Uh, what well, we will have the Big Ten next, where uh, two of the uh, two of the more intriguing teams in the conference, at least in my mind, taking on each other in West Lafayette, uh, where Northwestern uh, travels down to take Purdue. Purdue, a slight favorite, one point favorite at home. Josh, so you're our Big Ten guy. Who do you like here? Well, Purdue has to replace eight starters on defense. That's going to be really tricky. Uh, Northwestern returns a lot of talent. I know graduating Justin Jackson isn't ideal, and uh, Clayton Thorson hurt his, you know, tore his ACL in the bowl game December 30th. So that's basically a eight-month rehab for him. That seems really fast for an ACL, but I know they've changed that timeline. He says he's 100%. Coaches have announced he's the starter. We got to trust him. We got to trust Fitz, uh, even though it can sometimes be hard when you read what's happening at Maryland, et cetera. But I'm going to trust that they are doing it the right way and Thorson's good to go. I think that bodes well for Northwestern against such a new-look defense. And on the blog, I actually have uh, Northwestern winning this game 28-20. All right. Coach? Well, with it being a one-point spread, I don't have to worry about who's going to cover and who's not going to cover because whoever wins outright is going to, obviously, cover. So uh, I like for – uh, a lot of lot of reasons, just returning more experience than Purdue. Uh, I like Northwestern to win this one. Well, you, you guys know in, uh, that I previewed Purdue this year, and I loved Purdue this year, and I picked them to go eight and four. And this is one of the games that they have to win to go eight and four. So uh, I'm taking the Boilers here, baby. Boiler up. Um, all right. Well, uh, we will head then to an interesting. Uh, 
it really just it's I wouldn't say it's an odd matchup, but it's it's not one you see every day. Ole Miss at Texas Tech, uh, two programs that are expected to finish you know middle bottom of their respective conferences, but could potentially have uh, you know big things happening on offense. So Texas Tech, Josh, they are two and a half point favorites at uh, at home. Who do you like? Well, it's not a true home game because uh, my schedule is showing it at NRG Stadium. Oh, that's true. It's in Houston. It's in Houston. Um, you know, these are two teams with just a lot of unknowns about them. We don't know, you know, how their defenses are going to be, especially Texas Tech's. Don't really know, you know, if the offense is going to be as good as it is on paper. So I'm going to do something a little different, and I, I'm just kind of looking at the two coaches and – how their teams feel about them. And I think Luke, Matt Luke has his team really, you know, listening to him, they're buying in. He came in in a really bad circumstance. They kind of uh, appear like they want to go out and play some football for him. And with Coach GQ, I just kind of feel like the players have to be going, man, like everyone says he's on the hot seat. Everyone says this is his make or break year. Uh, we must not be that good of a program. Like I think some of that catches it, gets into kids' heads, and they read the news. They, you know, they're not blind to it. So I think Ole Miss is just going to have a little bit more fighting spirit in this game. All right, Coach. Well, a couple fun facts about this matchup: uh, Ole Miss offensive coordinator Phil Longo comes from the Mike Leach coaching tree. Um, Texas Tech head coach Cliff Kingsbury played for Mike Leach. So guess what? They're good buds, um, and they're going to be mirror image of uh, mirror images of each other. So it's really going to come down to honestly the defenses, and um, this is going to be really odd to say, but the Texas Tech defense I think has a slight edge over the Land Sharks because um, they've improved every year under under Coach Gibbs um, as their defensive coordinator. They've made huge leaps and bounds. Uh, defensively, um, and I, I think they're going to have the slight edge. This is going to be a score fest no matter what, no matter how you slice it and dice it. So the stats are going to be a little bit skewed, but I think Texas Tech is going to make one, maybe two more stops than Ole Miss. Um, I think they're, you know, I, I think their backs are against the wall. And you say fighting spirit. They love Coach Kingsbury. They love Coach GQ out there in uh, in Texas Tech, and they're going to they're going to fight to keep them off the hot seat. And I think they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder. So. I'm going to take the Red Raiders in, in this one. Um, it's kind of odd that I go against the uh, the SEC, but I think in this in this scenario, I'm going to. Uh, Coach, uh, I think that's the first positive thing anyone has said about Texas Tech's defense since Zach Thomas graduated. Well, it's true. <laughs> I previewed them. They are good. Yeah, um, I, I like the Red Raiders in this one as well. I think Ole Miss is just – they obviously have some superior talent. It, I mean, the, the two you know best players in this game are both going to be in Mississippi uniforms in AJ Brown and um, uh, their big left tackle. Uh, uh, what's his name? Greg Little. Mm-hmm. Um, and but uh, across the board, though, I think Texas Tech is going to be a little bit more balanced, and I think that they will come away winning this one by about a touchdown. So uh, finally, though, let's go to uh, the great state of Hawaii, uh, where Navy are 12-point favorites on the road in Aloha Stadium. Josh, what you got? Well, this is going to be an interesting game. First of all, uh, the Navy 
offensive coordinator, Jaron Jasper, has to be excited that his young man, his boy, uh, got that heart transplant. That was an ongoing story last year, the health of that kid. So that has to be a weight off of his shoulders, his player's shoulders, his family's shoulder, because uh, the story was very, uh, not pun intended at all, but it was very heartbreaking to hear about last year. So that's some good news for Navy. Even better news in terms of X's and O's, Malcolm Perry is a quarterback who not only can run the option, but he has something that Zach Aby lacked, and that's what we call an arm. And then for Hawaii, we have a sample size. They played week zero. I know they won. I know they put up 617 yards, and I know they had 418 passing yards. But Colorado State's defense was really bad. We knew that going into the season, and Colorado State put up 653 yards, 537 passing. I think that Navy's offense is going to have a no problem moving the ball against the Rainbow Warriors. So I've got Navy covering in a 14-point victory. All right, Coach. Well, um, this has to factor in uh, Navy traveling out to Hawaii. Uh, That is a huge trip. Um, when you consider the distance of going from Annapolis on the East Coast all the way out to Honolulu. Um, So I don't know if that's going to have any sort of factor. Um, If this was was not the Naval Academy, I would probably say that's a huge factor. Well, Coach, they they were practicing on a battleship all week and went through the Panama Canal and stuff. They, They just got out to Pearl Harbor. It's all good. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's good. To, that's good to know. So, um, I think the offensive line, were, uh, in order to uh, in order to uh, reinforce the idea of staying low, uh, they did all of their drills inside of a submarine. So that's good. Um, so anyway, uh, I think Navy again. Uh, we know what they're going to have offensively uh, with that attack. It doesn't matter who you plug in there, um, outside of Keenan Reynolds, uh, who's super talented, but just about anybody. That, that Ken Niamatololo is deems good enough to start. Um, we'll have this thing going as a well-oiled machine. Uh, Hawaii can't really stop much of anybody, but no one can really stop Hawaii much either. So, again, Navy's going to have to figure out a way to keep up with Hawaii's production. And, and I think that the way they're going to do it is they're going to shorten the game by holding on to the ball and, and doing what they do best, uh, which is – grind the clock out, chew up big chunk yardage. And I, I think they're going to, I think Navy's going to cover uh, Hawaii's going to make it difficult on them, but I think Navy's going to pull away in the end and, and cover this thing. All right. Uh, yeah. You know, as much promise as Hawaii showed last week, I, I, I still believe in the machine that, uh, you know, it was originally built by Paul Johnson there at Navy and has been uh, kept going by Kenny Matalolo. Uh, you know, obviously, you, you worry about the travel a little bit, but, you know, that Hawaii still, you know, it, it's going to be a big adjustment going from playing against Colorado State last week, who likes to air it out, uh, to go against the triple option of Navy. So I'm going to take the middies here as well. Well, gentlemen, that is our week one preview. I'm pumped for football to return. Josh, any final words? Yeah, I mean, we we did it again. We somehow buried the lead. Arkansas hosts Eastern Illinois in their march to the most improbable 12-0 season to ever happen in college football. And You're talking about Eastern Illinois season, right? 
No, I'm talking about Arkansas. So <laughs> I, I just don't know how we buried the lead. I don't get it. It's like every week we can't talk about Arkansas football. Well, and, you know, we, we couldn't have our annual uh, Kansas bet of the game because Kansas uh, uh, opens the year against Nichols University uh, in FCS school, and there was no line on the game. Is that Nichols State? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually a road game for Kansas because the track is in use. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not. It's in Lawrence. Oh, Lawrence, good. Louisiana. Um, <laughs> Coach, any final words from you? Well, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs have a really tough uh, season opener. They take on the Governors of Austin P. Um, as they begin their quest to win the Tennessee State Championship. Uh, they've got matchups against Austin P. Middle MTSU, uh, obviously UT and Vandy in conference. So um, all they need is um, Chattanooga, Tennessee Tech, Tech, Memphis, Tennessee State, and Tennessee State. UT Martin. I said Martin. Oh, I Uh, I didn't hear Martin. And East, East Tennessee. East Tennessee. The the Bucks. They're halfway there. They're halfway to. They're halfway to the state title. So. but they're gonna they're 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 trying to 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 get there. So, uh, but they take on the governors and Coach Will Healy, uh, who's probably one of the best young coaches in all of FCS. So that'll be uh, that'll be exciting to see what Austin P. Um, for for all you Nashville natives, um, see what they have. Uh, I really like them as an FCS program. So uh, it'll be it'll be fun and treat to watch them. Um, but of course, um, my Georgia Bulldogs. What, well, what's gonna happen with Justin Fields? Like uh, like the governor's cheer goes, let's go pee. <laughs> and with that, and with that, uh, that's going to do it for us here today on Illegal Motion. Happy football, everyone! Uh, college football is finally back. We can rejoice. So, on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach Corey Burton in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois. This is the professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. I gotta pay. Let's go pee. Let's go pee. Let's go pee. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.